All right. Welcome to the CXM experience. We're going to have today's analogy day. This is going to be super fun. I'm really looking forward to this show. I've wanted to do this for a while. And it's something I actually talk about a fair amount when I'm doing like really deep background on myself with a customer. Uh, so I'm going to share it all with you today. Um, as always, I am your host, Grad Khan, and I am the Chief Experience Officer, CXO at Sprinkler. You know, I've been at Sprinkler for a, a while now. I was Sprinkler's first customer, signed my first contract with Sprinkler for $30,000 in February of 2012. So just a shy over nine years with the Sprinkler team in one form or another. And I've been at Sprinkler you know, in a week. I'll have been at Sprinkler for three full years uh, as an employee. So as either a customer or employee, nine years, three years uh, at the helm. And uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about my journey um, over the last, I guess, 15 years. It, re it relates a little bit to how you think about architecting experience from a tool standpoint. Now, I'm going to just delve a little bit into the definition of CXM for a second. I want to you know, put some definitional stakes in the ground. And we've done this before on the show, but but not for quite a while. Uh, we've been you know, blessed with a lot of guests recently. It's been great. Uh, and a lot, a lot of them are touching on these topics. So first of all, I want to note that CXM or customer experience management is not viewed as a category by Gartner and Forrester and Constellation and other analyst firms. It's not viewed as a category. It's viewed as a process, which is sort of interesting. Now, I don't know if that's true or correct or will be true long-term, but that's where we are today. Now, the reason that they say that is that if they, if they think about CXM, CXM is broader than any tech stack. There's a people issue, there's a process issue, and there's, a, and there's a technology issue. So for example, you could put in an amazing CXM platform like Sprinkler, the world's greatest, most amazingest, awesomest CXM platform. And if you haven't trained your people and you don't have any processes in place to use it correctly, it's not gonna amount to hill of beans. I've been watching a lot of Westerns lately, so Hill of Beans just sort of hit me. <laughs> Sergio Leone is uh, my current director of choice. Currently watching Once Upon a Time in America. If you've ever seen this movie, it's crazy. Definitely worth a watch, although it's four hours. It's got an intermission, but it's a bit of a long one. Anyway, coming back to the topic. So CXM, people, process, and technology. Think about Disney. You know, they, there was no CXM platform when Walt Disney opened Disneyland in 1955. But boy, they were focused on experience. Everyone picks up the garbage. Uh, everyone's focused on the guest experience. Uh, the teammates there are called cast members. Everyone's on stage all the time. I had an opportunity once to spend nearly a year in Disneyland every day. That's a story for another time. And uh, just sat and watched and just watched. And you'd see obviously very senior people wearing suits and ties walking along, saw a piece of garbage on the ground, would lean over, pick it up, 
put it in a receptacle nearby. Uh, there was never like, hey, call over the person who does the garbage or, you know, you know, call in this issue or circle it or just see the problem, deal with the problem. And you'd also see lost children and angry adults and all sorts of people with issues approaching any Disney employee and immediately being looked after and never being sent off. That's a massive hiring and people issue. That is training. That is culture. Massive part of that is culture. That's just the way we do things. Then there's process. And you know, you've, got, you've got to have great playbooks. Uh, you've got to be able to have things that could be instantiated and repeated over and over again. Um, that's a fair amount of work, but a lot of that is just understanding the process of how people experience your product or uh, your store or your amusement park, et cetera. And then there's technology. And gosh, if you have a piece of technology that can create a 360-degree customer profile, if you can pull in all the mentions from all the modern channels, if you can use AI to sort everything into all the different types of customer engagement, if you can engage with intelligence in a personalized way, that's awesome. So <clears throat> something like Sprinkler helps a tremendous amount. Without the first two, it doesn't work. And so so that's where, you know, I think CXM is an interesting category as it evolves. I do think that some people are trying to define it as what is really customer feedback management, which is simply measuring through pretty traditional means like surveys and then reporting on the findings. I don't, I don't think that makes sense. I think CXM is more like what Walt Disney did. Right, which is you can't just see that there's garbage on the ground or or, or do a survey that people were you know had a bad day because the lines are too long. Uh, you've got to be there and you've got to fix it when it's happening. Otherwise, people don't come back and they tell others about that bad experience. So while Walt Disney got this in 1955, okay, just FYI, everyone's still figuring this out. Walt was there a long time ago. You just can't you just can't dawdle. If someone's having a bad time or having a rough experience or needs help, you've got to help them right then. So I think any CXM platform has to not just be able to record the issues that are going on. It has to also be able to enable action to take care of the issues at the same time. You got to be able to see a problem. You got to be able to fix a problem. You got to see a piece of garbage. You got to put the garbage away. That just, it just goes together. Uh, and you also have to build systems around training people and building process maps uh, so that you can make sure this is part of your culture and the way that you operate. So why was I wanted to talk about my background? So when I, when I went to Microsoft, uh, which was in 2006, I had the incredible uh, honor of uh, working for Peter Newport, uh, who had been at Microsoft for quite a long time and started up the Health Solutions Group in 2006. And uh, Peter had also been a founder at drugstore.com, uh, CEO there, and, uh, and had done uh, many other interesting things, for example, starting MSNBC, just as an example. Uh, also was uh, deeply um, blessed to have Sean Nolan as my engineering partner. And the two of us launched Health Vault and then worked with a lot of hospitals on a product called Amalga, which was a SQL implementation that allowed us to collect 
uh, all the different data sources into one spot. So you could have a discharge record that could then be released into Health Vault uh, or just sent as a discharge record. So at New York Presbyterian, for example, we connected 57 different systems and created an integrated discharge report, which was a very significant accomplishment, took a lot of work and would not have been possible without the amazing, amazing cooperation and incredible partnership of Aurelia Boyer, who is the CIO at NYPH. So I tell you that just because you know that's kind of what I did for a bunch of years you know, when I first started at Microsoft. We were in Microsoft Research, so we were essentially a startup inside MSR, uh, and uh, we're sort of funded on a somewhat like annual basis for sure, but there were you know quarterly asks as well as we built and grew the team and uh, built and grew the business. Now. I saw something in healthcare that I'd not seen before. And what was interesting about healthcare is that it's an incredibly advanced category in a way. Healthcare, really, for all the forms that you fill out by hand, and it is pretty unbelievable how much that still goes on, there's a lot of really interesting tech that's purchased by healthcare. All the MRI machines and CAT scanners and X-ray machines, et cetera, all the different robots for operating, uh, all the different EMRs for recording patient data, uh, now the um, patient health records, the PHRs that you can access like you know, Epic or MyChart or things that you can get through things like NYPH Connect. And there's a lot of systems. And in fact, some hospitals, there's, there's one hospital we went to a fair number of times, which is the Palo Alto Medical Center. And uh, that, at PAMSI, they had 400 beds. So, you know, kind of a medium-sized hospital. And they had 400 separate point solutions that they had purchased to monitor everything from blood pressure to, you know, the, the food you're eating at your bed, et cetera. And managing that mess of point solutions was a, was a living nightmare for the CIO and, quite frankly, a nightmare for everyone in the IT department. Just provisioning a new nurse or a new doctor took forever because they had to be provisioned onto multiple systems. And then when they left, they had to be deprovisioned and that provided all sorts of dangerous uh, holes and security issues because they would often forget to deprovision them for every system. And so somebody could then log in and uh, you know get access to the... Uh, health records, get access to the hospital's systems through some sort of rogue point solution that hadn't been uh, taken care of. And so what we were selling with Amalga was a way of integrating all those systems. Uh, But there was a far better solution that had been in development for many, many years. And it was a solution which was a unified EHR from a company named Epic Healthcare based in Madison, Wisconsin. Very interesting company with a super unique and very inspirational founder who had run the company in her Birkenstocks for many, many, many years and had created a wonderful culture out in the essentially middle of nowhere. And so uh, Epic basically had this idea that if you had one unified system, uh, you would get away with all, get away from all the integration nightmares that you have with separate point solutions. And you would be able to have better outcomes for patients because now you could see things like sepsis, for example, where you need three or four readings from three or four different systems. Um, In most hospitals at the time, they wouldn't see sepsis in the early stages because they didn't have those readings in one spot. They couldn't have a sepsis indicator. Uh, And so they would only really see sepsis as it sort of started to present. And in that stage, often it was too late and the mortality rate was really high. But if you had the early detector in there, which was 
based on having a bunch of systems connected, then you could you could avoid it. You know, congestive heart failure, same thing. Uh, you can actually you know, prevent a very negative outcome uh, with uh, with uh, um, salt pills. You know, but 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 if you don't, if you catch it in time, and if you wait too long, then you know, patient often dies. And you look at weight, and you look at a couple other metrics, and then you can you can sort of pull this all together. Um, we had done some really good work around that, and Aurelia used to tell me how many thousands of lives we had saved uh, together because of these tools that we had built. But we, we it was hard because we were connecting a lot of different systems, whereas Epic could do it more easily by having it in one system. Now. I don't want to underestimate the complexity of Epic. So, you know, to be fair, you know, hospitals have spent literally billions of dollars implementing Epic. A billion is not an unusual number to implement Epic. Uh, Five billion, six billion, eight billion are all numbers that I've I've heard or, or I'm aware of. Um, but once you get it up and running and get everything integrated and get it unified, you've got something pretty special. And Epic has built a thing called MyChart, which allows you to share that data with the patient. So they built a version of Health Vault, although it was locked to the Epic system, um, it was an effective way. And I go to Columbia Doctors today in New York, and I'm able to see healthcare data, I'm able to pay my bills. It's actually quite, quite a smooth system, works incredibly well. Um, so why am I telling you this story? So. When I started in healthcare, Epic was there, but not a dominant player. By the time I exited healthcare, just a few years later, Epic was clearly the dominant player. The move had been made by hospitals to move away from best of breed point solutions and to move to unified system. And it just so happened there was only one unified system and that was Epic. Today, Epic is more than 60% of the EHR market. The far, far, far dominant player. It's an amazing story that's rarely told. Um, it's a fantastic investment. So um, what does that have to do with marketing? Well, when I got to the US and I was being asked to build out a MarTech stack, uh, I took the learning I had from healthcare and I said, hey, you know, there's a, there's a world of hurt waiting us here in MarTech because we could make the same mistake the hospitals did and build a bunch of point solutions, build a Frankenstack. And that's just basically what everyone kind of went about doing. There were a few of us who built best of suite approaches. And when I met Sprinkler and they talked about their unified front office, it was pretty exciting to me because they were doing the exact same thing that Epic had done. They were at an earlier stage and there were many more hurdles to overcome and a lot more code to write. But Sprinkler had, I believe, the right strategic idea long term. And that is proving to be correct. So um, that's sort of how lessons from one category or one industry can be shared with another industry. And uh, what's interesting to me today, we, we just um, did the interview with David yesterday, and uh, David was talking uh, about you know, where he was going at Mount Sinai and thinking about um, marketing as a relationship uh, motion. Uh, and what Dave is clearly thinking about and worrying about is how does he measure the relationship and how does he get that single integrated profile? And I'll, I'll make a prediction that I'm going to say that I'm betting that healthcare figures this out faster than the rest of us. And if we want to get good guideposts on how to really measure the strength of a relationship with a customer, 
Let's look to healthcare. Let's see how they're doing it. Let's see how they're going to think about the patient, the patient's family, the, that sort of circle of caregivers that are always around a patient. Uh, how are they identifying that? How are they managing that? How are they measuring it? They're clearly not going to just do surveys. They're going to have to also look at all the stuff that's coming in in the unsolicited, unstructured data through sites like HealthGrades, uh, through all the review sites, through just general reviews that hospitals post, um, and all the sort of just general comments that people make across all the different modern channels like platforms uh, in the social area or blogs or forums in et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, very interesting times. And I'm going to kind of keep connected to my healthcare brethren and see where they're going with this, because I do think there's going to be uh, some interesting guideposts ahead. And we'll use that to sort of inform ourselves as we go ahead together. And with that, that is today's CXM experience. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. A little bit of a trip down memory lane for me. I did actually have a very good time doing that. And I will um, be signing off now. So I'm Greg Kahn, CXO at Sprinkler, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.